Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson. This week, I am pleased to have what has become a regular guest, old friend of the podcast, Lloyd Brown, formerly the Communications Director for the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, and now a consultant with HDR, living in beautiful Arizona. Lloyd, let's just talk about all kinds of things, including the IAJA Infrastructure Act and other things that are going on in transportation since it's a holiday week and uh, things are kind of slowing down. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. So talk first about, you know, what you've been seeing, hearing, reading about the the infrastructure plan. The president signed it in Michigan last mm-hmm. week, as you know, and uh, implementation and, you know, what the what the challenges and, and opportunities are. Well, first, a uh, big significance is increases in investment levels and also the commitment of multi years for the federal bill. Those two things go a long way toward helping state DOTs and other transportation agencies put plans together and anticipate what they can move into the pipeline and the industry surrounding the transportation departments uh, that do a lot of the engineering, do a lot of the construction. That's all really good news. And so there's certainly a lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving week. And also, uh, you know, whenever there's good, there's also some challenges. And, and I think that part of what happens when you go from the big announcement and the celebration uh, that a bill was passed is that you turn the page and then you have to move into implementation. And there certainly are some potential challenges looking at implementation and managing public expectation for what that implementation is going to look like. So talk more specifically, I guess, about about what that means. I mean, you were at a DOT probably transitioning to your job in Washington with AASHTO um, when when the American Recovery and Rescue Act, ARA, was enacted under the Obama administration. And, you know, there was a lot of talk then about projects that are shovel ready. And that became, a, I guess, a, a bit of a stumbling block of frustration, I think, for a lot of people in construction and various kinds of vertical and horizontal construction across the country. Uh, the term of art now seems to be shovel worthy, which makes a lot more sense to me. But what, what can you say about all that? Well, in the late 2000s, 2009, uh, a huge push to get money into the economy and to create jobs. So the issue was getting people to work much more than what exactly we were doing with the infrastructure. So you saw a lot of projects move forward that was that were focused a lot on maintenance and and some of the standard program and project that maybe got moved ahead that might have been done the following year or the year after that that got moved up because uh, it was already within the right of way, didn't have to deal with environmental permitting, and it could easily move into a contracting situation and keep people working. That was the main, main focus. Um, in, in this kind of situation, I think what you're going to see is that there is a natural lag time between when the money uh, you know, from the federal government comes into the programs and, you know, state DOTs and other transportation organizations, they have a process for engineering projects, uh, getting them through permitting, uh, getting them through a contracting process, getting a contractor out into the field to do the work. It's not 
just a quick couple of week process in many cases. It, it can take some time, sometimes months. And, and that I think is one of the things where uh, transportation organizations and agencies around the country are going to have to do some concerted effort to manage public expectations for, hey, there's all this federal money now available. Why isn't this fixed or why aren't these things changing more quickly? Well, that's, you know, the, the whole process of hopefully every state has a longer term plan, whether it's five years or 10 years. And, you know, they've always got these things in place that they already know that they need to do. And when something like this comes along, they've got a plan to, to work from just to pull some things forward. I mean, isn't that how things should work? I think so. And I think you'll see that for sure. Uh, there still are going to be uh, processes in terms of figuring out which ones of those projects are uh, eligible to be pulled forward, which ones have permitting that still needs to take place and, and reviews that still need to happen. Uh, so yeah, there, there is, there is going to be, uh, probably a pretty traditional program with some additional projects moved into that program. Uh, it'll be different than what it was with, with ARA when there was a huge push just to get money going, get projects out into the field as quickly as possible. I think this is going to be uh, a much more thoughtful process. And the other part of this is there's quite a bit of money and I don't know the exact number, but there's quite a bit of money too, that's, that's, uh, been dedicated to granting programs. And that there's a whole process involved in that as well, uh, just simply in developing the applications for the grants and, and which projects are eligible for grants, writing the applications, processing them. So again, it could take a little while for some of this money to reach out into the local levels. So how do you balance, put yourself in US DOT Secretary Pete Buttigieg's seat or the president's seat for that matter, and everything else that we know about bringing together, you know, <clears throat> various constituencies and, you know, the whole thing of trying to find these alliances, it's hard enough to get the votes to get support for these things. But within that, you know that most people are thinking about fixing roads. They're thinking about pavement and making my commute smoother and hopefully shorter. And meanwhile, they both are multimodal advocates, uh, Secretary Pete especially, um, and, and, you know, the president for that matter, being a huge Amtrak rider and fan. And there's money in there for for Amtrak and you know, passenger rail and certainly for, for transit. And, and some of the highway money and some of the things they're talking about don't add capacity or fix roads at all. They would actually take some out uh, to try to, you know, make up for some inequities social justice inequities in communities and where freeways were built. So knowing what you just said, that people want to see, you know, ribbons being cut and shovels going in the ground and seeing roads, and yet there are huge constituencies, especially within the Democratic Party, that want these multimodal uses. How would you balance all that? I, I think that that is definitely something that a lot of organizations, transportation departments around the country are, are trying to juggle. Obviously, the urban environment uh, the, the, the urban transportation organizations are, are going to be more adept and maybe more focused on those kinds of projects that uh, can better accommodate pedestrian and cycling uh, uses. The state DOTs, those that are that have been focused, I think, are probably going to have a sense for where they can make some investments. Uh, and then some of the other DOTs are simply going to need to catch up. And, and figure out if this is money that they wanna go for or if there are other priorities for their organization. But 
the the there certainly is going to continue to be an emphasis and a focus on active transportation. It's been a priority, I know, for for Ashto for uh, many years, and the popularity of active transportation investments is only increasing, especially as we look at uh, the growth of alternative fuel uh, vehicles and automated vehicles and how do the active transportation exist in that mixed-use environment. There are a lot of issues in it, but Ultimately, people and people, uh, I think, are turning more toward cycling and walkable communities and, and places or opportunities of investment that are making communities more livable. So I didn't think you would leave Ashto before taking the H out of the name. <laughs> well, it's a process. And, uh, you know, Ashto is a uh, it was it is uh, founded in 1914. So it's uh, you're talking about an organization that's 107 years old. Uh, change happens, but it's a it's an evolution and it's a process. And so uh, I would expect that the ongoing discussion and and you're talking about the reference to highways in the transportation officials name there. And uh, and, and certainly highways remains a core uh, part of the overall federal investment. Uh, and and I don't think that that changes regardless of of uh, who's in the president's off uh, president. Uh, who's president or what administration is in, highways will continue to be there because we still need to move goods and we still need to move services and and uh, there's still an efficient way of moving a lot of people. Uh, so the, the question ultimately becomes how do we make communities more livable and how do we do it in a way that is not contributing to some of the negative effects of, of uh, climate change and uh, and so, you know, you're going to see alternative fuels, you're going to see more automated vehicles and, and safety becoming more and more of a focus and a priority. Well, and that's Secretary Buttigieg has definitely indicated that, you know, he wants safety to be a priority. And in the context of what you're talking about with cycling and pedestrians, I mentioned um, what they would do to, to fund, you know, some projects, some ideas to to actually try to make amends for decisions made years ago and you know in fairness to the people making those decisions we know things now that that we didn't then but a lot of this is about racial equity and uh you know in detroit we're talking about i-375 which uh basically took out two thriving uh black communities in the 60s and uh there's a, a today on the the daily the new york times the daily podcast they had an interview about the Claiborne Highway in New Orleans, and I recommend listening to it if you haven't, because it very much fits with what's going on in Detroit and you know many other cities, Atlanta, LA, obviously where freeways were built and, and displaced people. And you know, I think the important thing to remember is, yeah, we can't you know make up for what we've done, but just acknowledging that that was a mistake and that was a poor way to go, that that in itself is important. Do you, do you agree? I, I think that acknowledging is certainly one of the one of the things that will be important. Um, there are recognizing that uh, whenever investments are made, that there are groups that benefit and groups that don't benefit, and how those investments of fifty years are continuing fifty years ago, sixty years ago, seventy years ago are continuing to add value to certain communities and remove value from other communities. That's a very important concept. And uh, what I know for certain is that nearly every conversation that is made around public 
engagement comes with an increased focus and attention to equity and not just equality and not just fairness, but, but equity and what that means in all its various shapes and sizes. And so departments of transportation at the city, county, state level, uh, and, and governments of all types, transit organizations are, are developing their concepts and frameworks for what that means to them, equity in the context of their communities. And it may mean different things in different communities. But ultimately, what it comes down to is changing the way in which transportation projects are and solutions are considered even from the start so that the conversation is an ongoing, continuous process with all the potentially affected parties. And, and how do you make investments that that are um, beneficial to communities that maybe were overlooked and and, and uh, somehow penalized in, in over the last uh, five or six decades? Yeah, and I think going to your point, if if you do redo these things and rethink them and, you know, convert highways that were maybe depressed and divided a community into urban boulevards that have cycling and pedestrian access and, you know, create connections, you're not just doing it for whatever that project is. You're, you're kind of sending a message and reshaping the conversation for the young planners and engineers coming into the departments and how they're going to view projects going forward. So it's it, it can't be anything but good. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that acknowledging it, embedding it into your culture, and and to putting it into your strategic vision for how your uh, organization is going to interact with this community, all of that's important. And I think it's uh, th those are steps in the right direction. Stick around. There's more to come right after this short message. No, before you go. Head on over to MyDrive to check out the latest on road construction and possible delays along your route. For a detailed map, head over to michigan.gov drive. So let's talk about safety for a minute. Uh, I spoke recently with a couple of advocates at the national and state level about the ongoing rise in, in crashes, especially severe crashes, crash deaths. Early in the pandemic, there was you know hardly any traffic on the road. It was down as much as 60% in Michigan, and yet crash deaths continue to go up because we know people were speeding and not wearing their seatbelts. Even though you know there's a lot of people back on the road in 2021, the numbers are still going in the wrong direction. Um, what do you think about that? I, well, I'm concerned that speed and inattention continue to be problems that we just can't seem to get a handle on. And it's not really even an issue of enforcement because the you know, law enforcement's out on the, on the highways all around the country. And so uh, people seemingly have decided that maybe it's because they feel safer with their airbags or their driver assist systems that are in the new cars or navigation systems. But whatever is going on within the, behind the wheel of the vehicle, the decision to drive too fast for conditions for the situation and drive in attentively, maybe play with a car stereo or eat French fries, whatever it is. So yeah, that's been a concern of mine for quite some time that we've uh, you know, created these, these great technologies to keep us safer. And yet, you know, then we also find more ways to, to mm -hmm. crash and, and hurt ourselves. So it just seems like it's a, it's a never ending cycle and, um, I think until we do get to fully automated vehicles, 
when we accept the fact that the computer is a better driver than we are, as good as we might think we are, um, you know, without emotions, without road rage, without all the things that, that you know, create human behavior and human error, um, that I just, I don't know how we get a handle on this. Well, yeah, and I, I wish I had some kind of solution as well. And, and, uh, and, and I think you're right that, the, the cost in terms of the loss of, of life, of course, is, is tragic, but in addition, the societal costs and the disruption to families and the disruption in terms of, you know, this just the way we, we go about living our lives. It, we, we seem to think that it's always going to happen to someone else. And the fact is that it happens randomly. And uh, it recently happened in my, in my family. I was in a, I was in a pretty serious car crash through no fault of my own. Somebody lost control of their vehicle, wasn't paying attention, and and uh, driving on a sunny day on a straight freeway was was hit, and, and our car was totaled. And and fortunately, my wife and I walked away safely, but um, but not without injury and and you know ongoing issues. So um, you know, it just it, it's crazy how this uh, how this stuff still is happening, even though we know what the answers are. Are, and that's to slow down, pay attention, and take driving seriously as a responsibility and not a God-given right to go as fast as you can and hope everyone else gets out of your way. You think it's, um, and, and I'm glad you, you and you, you guys were okay. Um, <laughs> uh, do, you, do you think that it's, is the federal government doing enough? Is, is NHTSA doing enough? I think they're doing quite a bit. I think that I think that uh, there's a there's a significant investment in ongoing enforcement campaigns, which obviously has some issues in in the age of uh, in our aware our greatest awareness greater awareness of equity. You know, we we probably have some issues we need to address there. But um, yeah, they're funding enforcement. They're also funding behavioral campaigns uh, designed to help people uh, pay attention behind the wheel and buckle their seatbelts or. I mean, even even uh, campaigns like, uh, you know, check your back seat to make sure that you didn't leave your child in the back uh, in a hot car. Uh, you know, it to me as a as a parent, fortunately, I, my, my son's now in college. I don't have to worry about these things, but I can't, I can't imagine forgetting that I have a child in the car. But it happens and it happens more frequently than we even know. So, yeah, I think NHTSA is got a fairly robust campaign out there. Obviously, we probably can all do more. But it may just come back to this idea that that stuff happens to other people and uh, not wearing a seatbelt isn't going to matter because I'm not going to get into a car crash. Maybe just like all the other things where we are out trying to educate people on how to keep themselves safe. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think those are some good thoughts. And uh, I never want to leave our conversations without at least touching on safety and our efforts towards zero deaths and the Vision Zero programs at the national level. And, and of course, the continuing drumbeat about using crash and not accident. So, Lloyd, thanks for taking time to do this. I hope you and your family have a, a, a nice Thanksgiving. And uh, once again, I'm glad you and Stephanie were not severely injured in that crash. Yeah, happy holidays to you and yours too, uh, Jeff. We'll uh, talk to you soon and thanks for having me on. Sure. Since it is Thanksgiving week, I want to acknowledge among the many things I'm thankful for are the dedication and skill some members of the team bring to producing this podcast each week. All of these people are already busy in their regular jobs and the podcast has added work. 
So thank you, Randy Debler, who edits the audio, Courtney Bates, who posts the audio and the show notes, Sarah Connect Connect for completing transcription, and Jesse Ball for social media support and proofreading the show notes. And thank you to the listeners, and I hope you all have a nice Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.